Good afternoon, everyone. This is the global edition of Office Hours. You wouldn't believe from our executive producer to our associate producer to my co-host and guest. We're all around the world, and we're blessed to be able to get together virtually once again. Welcome, Blaine Bartlett, to Office Hours. Thank you for always showing up. You bet, my buddy. It's a good, uh, good to be here again. Well, it's good to have you healthy and happy down in the Bahamas. Make sure you have uh, a drink with our dear friends down there on me, and I will look forward to seeing you when you get back. But uh, the world's changing fast, Blaine, as you know better than anyone else. And uh, I talk about the distance between behavior and results and shortening that distance uh, in a human aspect. Uh, it's necessary to gather wisdom and faith that'll shorten the distance between our behaviors and the outcome results and consequences of it. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing when it comes to delivery in the last mile, uh, it takes great technology uh, to give that instant gratification uh, from being able to produce something and deliver within minutes now. Uh, I am absolutely amazed. So we had to bring the expert in to shorten the distance between an order and delivery. Anar Mamadov is here. Uh, owner, CEO of Senpex Technology, Senpex, web.senpex.com. Welcome to Office Hours, Anar. Yeah, hi, David. Nice nice to having me here. So thank you for you know inviting me here. Well, you have won so many awards and touted across the world uh, of on-demand <laughs> delivery. Uh, and I'm blown away uh, by what is capable today in the same day courier service. Uh, give me a little bit of the evolution of how we're able to deliver something in less than an hour. Well, again, thank you, David, uh, inviting me here. Uh, so basically, as you mentioned, we are mainly specialized in last mile logistics. Overall, in the supply chain logistics is growing and booming. Specifically after the COVID, is, uh, there's a huge tendency. And even after the growth of the e-commerce, um, most of the businesses, like retail businesses, like stores, 3PL, different e-commerces, one of their challenges, problems, how to automate that process, how to make sure their products delivered like less than one hour. So definitely for that purposes, we are our our main goal is also that purpose. So how to make sure like deliver less than one hour. So there's a couple of ways how to, you can do it. So definitely there's some kind of special proper route planning tools supposed to make proper planning and proper optimization of the routes efficiency that you can make these deliveries on time. The second piece of the reliability, how to make sure that the best drivers understand what's need to be picked up and how to deliver and when to do deliver. So there's a lot of like AI and technical tools exist. And we also building these type of tools to solve delivery less than one hour. And the last part of that is definitely analytical dashboard. So where you can do some kind of analysis and prediction uh, of the drivers on the way of like how to make sure it's properly delivered within less than an hour. You know, the idea of actually covering that last mile uh, is, is a huge challenge. And I'm, excuse my naivete here, on our, um, but I'm assuming that you contract out to the drivers. Would that be a... a they're not in-house drivers. They're, they aren't full-time employees for the organization. 
Well, yeah, we, we position ourselves mainly at the logistic delivery company, but as a marketplace. So basically, we do have a driver. So like any independent contractors, they can join to our system. Definitely, we have a special screening process, not kind of, you know, it's a very unique screening process we do have. And plus, we have a lot of kind of training explanation how the system works and how they can handle the different type of the products. Because usually our clients are like different food production companies, the facilities, like health institutions, the pharmacy, pharmacists, and um, like each of those kind of industry require a bit more proper education of those drivers. Yes. So the drivers can have an opportunity through our platform to receive the job and make those deliveries and make pretty much good money uh, on that. It's, and that, if I can just do a follow-up on that, David, real quick here. I mean, it's the idea that you actually have is, is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's the execution, devil's in the details. And that's kind of what generated my question here. Because if you if you don't have an in-house controller on this, you've got to come up with another way to actually make sure that the folks that are doing that last mile delivery are, in fact, the kind of people that you need to have. Because it's, it's all relationship. What are you doing now? You've got the onboarding process here. But how do you actually uh, instill in them the uh, the sense of mission that you as a founder of the company brought to the company when you, uh, you know, basically stood it up? Well, uh, like we uh, we as a company overall, like we're doing it for six years, right? And uh, the company right now is operating in 38 states, actually including Alaska and also Hawaii, Honolulu. Uh, and I, I prefer actually as a building these type of marketplaces, Usually, the business, this type of businesses are very important to have a scalability. This is actually number one point of it. For me, if the customer, let's say, I don't know, like whatever, easy cater, right? It's a special catering marketplace. They're supplying the catering foods to their corporates. So if they need to deliver somewhere in Alaska, somewhere in the Florida, or maybe somewhere in San Francisco, like local drivers in local, those areas can be part of our system, became our drivers and cover those deliveries locally, pick it up and deliver. So inspiration definitely uh, through our platforms, we are um, trying to make them, motivate them to get best paid. First, pay structures are very important. The mm-hmm. second is actually we need to do the balancing with the customers as well because you don't need to overcharge your customers. So we're trying to kind of do the necessary balancing on the way of regarding the pricing. And second, uh, trying to like through our AI-based uh, dashboard manage uh, our drivers as well. This is very important because at the end of the day, whatever tools automation you can do, still you're working with the humans the mistakes as a hat can be happen, and specifically if that's in the service industry. So in the service industry, things can be happen, right? So we are kind of improving and trying to do our best to manage more than fifty thousand drivers so far. Like actual monthly, like fifty thousand drivers, it's not easy task to do. Yeah. And it's a size open scale from Alaska to Hawaii around the other thirty six states here in the continental U.S. You've been developing software, specifically mobile app development, for so many years. And a lot of people don't realize that AI has been around since you've been developing software. Yeah. Uh, it's just the exponential uh, increase in its capability through processing, through battery life, believe it or not, is another component, as you know, um, as well as the intelligence in uh, the software itself. Um, how has the development side uh, 
accelerated from when you started 15 plus years ago. How quickly can you make adjustments? How quick can you develop uh, the app and additional capabilities in the app because of AI specifically? Well, I, I'm doing this for 18 years, right? And I, I did a lot of the similar apps things in the Europe. Uh, and then uh, like eight years ago, I just decided to move to US and just realize my dreams. Uh, but overall, um, the app development usually practice the works like usually takes like four or five months. Like you need to launch. And then the next four or five or six months, it takes for implementation. So what that means, you need to talk with the client, get their feedback, see what's the reactions. And I will be honest with you, like every, like I'm kind of balancing, like six months building the product and next six months just making my developers, just engineering to have a rest a bit and just improve our marketing, sales activities and getting the customer feedback. So first of all, you need to just get a feedback. So, well, this is important, right? And see what's the reaction of the customers will be. The second uh, piece of the actual the software development, in my opinion, um, some of the unique features you can build uh, some of them is like 80% can be failed, but you can bring a small feature can can completely change your life. For, for example, one of those features we built, for example, uh, we, we started thinking, okay, app, website, people can go schedule, That's, everyone can do it. Then we start building the API. So what that means, for example, like how we can make sure like we can plug in plug into the different e-commerce platforms, including Shopify, WooCommerce, and different e-commerce. And this is small kind of product that we built within a, three months. And that's dramatically changed our life as well. The company life as well has drastically increased number of the volumes that help us to scale to the new location, et cetera. So um, answering to your question, de depends on what's the complexity of the, the functionality features you want to build. But you need to build it slowly on the way of like, uh, don't overload it with too many features and functionalities. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, you know, engineering space is such space that always there's a new things you have to think. Always you're not kind, kind of happy with whatever you build. But when you see the real customer's reaction, the usage, and they're happy with that, that's completely <laughs> different feelings, I will tell you. I'll tell you, you got to create an API for Craigslist and be able to deliver that last mile of Craigslist within an hour. It'll exponentially grow Craigslist in uh, things like that that other people don't realize have huge e-commerce implementation and expectation. Uh, uh, I'll be up there next week uh, in uh, Santa Clara, so I'd love to catch up with you. We'll have some extraordinary thought leaders up there with the Aspire Tour after I'm in Vegas with uh, Tim Story and Gary V and Joel Tana. So if you want to swing by, I'd love to meet you, Anar. Anar Mamadov, an extraordinary entrepreneur, owner and CEO of Senpex Technology. Check out web.senpex.com in 38 states. And I'm sure next time we'll be, and well, next time we have him on the show, Blaine, I'm sure he'll be in 50. He's already in Alaska and Hawaii. Yeah. The rest will be easy, uh, no problem. I imagine why he's staying away from Mississippi and he'd rather have Alaska. No, I'm kidding. Uh, thank you so much, Anar. We'll see you soon. Perfect. Yeah, likewise. Thank you again, David, having me. Have a good day. Yeah. Thank Thanks, Anar. We'll see you next week, I hope. Thank you. We'll get our team to invite you up there. You got that, Raluca? We got another neighbor of Anar, another A. Aaron Feingold is here, Chief Marketing Officer of Kingsley Gate, kingsleygate.com. Welcome, Aaron, to Office Hours. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's an honor to have you here. And we love having CMOs and C-suite marketing executives uh, on here as we have, Blaine and I, 
a lot of traditional experience in the marketing uh, palace and around the world as well. And both have changed exponentially uh, with the size, scope and scale and globalization of the total addressable communities that we can market to. And now I found out we can have the last mile shipping in less than an hour. Every yeah. single day, there's more and more to market and more and more reasons to market. Uh, you know, the data is what a lot of people don't take into consideration, even though it seems obvious today uh, that we have such capability of understanding the markets and the data behind the markets. Um, you have been a chief marketing officer looking at different marketing strategies. How important is data today? Uh, or do we still have uh, a preference for the emotional connection instead of data-driven marketing? Oh, it's a fantastic question. I think I would answer in two parts. The first is to say that the promise of data in marketing is very real, but it's quite easy to misunderstand what that means. Uh, one of the things that happens in marketing is you're often trying to talk to people who are outside of the four walls of your organization. It's very easy, for example, in a tech company for a product team to run an A-B test and say, we're giving our existing users two different treatments and everything else stayed the same. So any lift we saw in performance is due to the difference in those treatments. Whereas when you're out there trying to get in front of users who are being exposed to messages from hundreds of brands every day, it's very hard to draw a same level uh, of causality uh, and the same level of conviction. And so I think that the promise of data is absolutely real. We are able to now understand user journeys, customer pathways, who engaged with what content before they moved further down the funnel with us. And all of that is extremely useful and very enlightening. But I just would caution both CMOs and their CFO or CEO counterparts to really understand quite deeply what's possible. Uh, before making assumptions about what can and cannot be known. To answer yeah. this, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, there's two parts to that question. So yeah, the second part of your question is, is so interesting because I feel like I've been in a lot of conversations recently where this dichotomy gets framed. Is it data or is it emotion? And I have to admit, I, I challenge that a little bit because I find that there is so much numerically that we can read about a user's behavior. There's so much that we can use market research, for example, quantitative market research to understand about underlying emotions, what motivates uh, users to use a product or what motivates buyers to engage in a, in a buying process. And we engaged in a lot of that really interesting research as well at Kingsley Gate when we were defining our brand positioning, which is pretty emotional, I'd say, or at least conceptual for a B2B brand all around the power of the business decisions that senior executives need to make. Uh, and we took both a, both a qualitative and a quantitative approach to defining that. And, and I think I am really glad personally that we did. The idea of data and emotion, I'm going to just kind of test this out with you if I could, Aaron. Uh, the shortest distance between two people is a story. And when you're looking at creating a story, there's a decision that gets made about that narrative. Um, and that story has to have some components to it uh, in order for it to be compelling. If you're doing A-B testing and that sort of thing, I'm not sure that you're going to get the compelling component of the story identified through that A-B metric. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So what's the methodology that you guys use there at uh, Kingsley uh, Gate to actually begin to work with uh, your clients to form a decision that is informed by a narrative that closes the gap between two people? Yeah, it's it's such a great point that you raised because you're absolutely right. Just observing outcomes on their face might tell you about the outcome, but it's not always clear what the root cause is or what are the different emotional components that are at play. So for us, when we started this journey of trying to define our positioning in a very crowded space, there are, as you may know, over 300, I believe, executive search firms uh, operating in the U.S. alone. Uh, more if you look worldwide. When we started this, we actually took a number of uh, senior executives, investors, board members who had recently hired an executive search firm, either ours or competitors, and we asked them a series of questions around why it was they chose to even engage in the category in the first place. Now, naturally, we got a lot of really unhelpful surface level answers at first. People said things like, I hired an executive search firm because I needed a new COO and I didn't want to do the hiring myself. Well, sure, we all could have anticipated that. But as we dug beneath the surface, we asked questions like, what would happen if you didn't replace that COO? And after the initial look of shock and fear, it really caused our participants in the study to reflect and say, what would happen if I didn't replace that COO? And why is it that I need somebody at that level? Why do I need somebody with that seniority, with that scope, with that experience set to lead a part of my business? And where we eventually landed was the statement, which is that what I really need is somebody who sits at that level of the hierarchy who can be accountable for decisions that are appropriate for somebody of that seniority. Any more junior, and they don't have the accountability or the gravitas anymore senior, and they don't have the proximity to the day-to-day -day operations of the business. And that was when we realized we had struck a gold mine in a way conceptually, because every single client out there who's working with an executive search firm is looking for someone to come into the business and make decisions, but it's not always framed or articulated in that way. Thank you. One of the key capabilities, and I'm sure you learned a lot at McKinsey and Ogilvy and you know, of the more well-known brands of strategy out there, but I think one capability today that soars above the rest when it comes to the digital marketing side of things is the process of experimentation. Uh, I'm a test and go person. Uh, in fact, the one thing that would scare me away, Aaron, from anyone in the digital space, let alone digital marketing space, is when they tell me that they know what they're doing. Uh, and, you know, I'm a math person, the size, scope, and scale of the audience, the trillions of variables that are involved, uh, that are surrounding the data. I'm looking for the best test and go person. I'm looking for a person that has experimented and, and understands how we find the light, the love, and the lessons in the experimentation. You have worked at every level. What have you learned about uh, experimentation in the digital marketing space? What should we look for uh, when there's a lot of, you know, I always say I wish I had the courage of a 19-year-old life coach. I wish I had the courage of some of these digital marketers telling me what they actually think they know and guarantee they know. Uh, what are some of the things we should look for in experimentation? 
I, I, I love that question. There is certainly a fair degree of hubris or overconfidence out there in the market, uh, as we've all experienced. Um, I think the thing that's really interesting is it actually connects back to what we were saying, this idea that the story and the emotion and the data are not disconnected, but rather when instrumented together can be really effective. For example, when it comes to experimentation, I know very, I know a number of marketers who start experimenting a bit too early. And what I mean by too early is they haven't really defined a hypothesis that they feel strongly about and a way, and they haven't defined a way to prove that. What I love about pairing qualitative understanding is if you can get beneath the surface with your users or your customers and understand what's motivating them to buy, what pain point or what need are they solving, to use Clayton Christensen's language, what job is it they're trying to get done, that can help you understand, okay, now the options for treatments, be that the button color or the copy or the image, whatever it is you're trying to test, that option set is narrowed to a set of very logical options. You still may end up being wholly surprised. That's the power of experimentation, right? Is that very often what we guess would be correct ends up being proved wrong by the numbers. But you have a much more focused experiment because you've done the initial groundwork to understand whether, you know, whether it's a toaster or a school bus, as they say. And so I think that's something that I, I really look for when I hire, for example, marketers and we talk about experimentation is I want to understand how the ideas for experimental design even get generated in the first place and how do those get refined before we spend the effort um, and the time and money, uh, marginal though it may be, on creating an experiment where we can put thousands of users through these different treatments. Let me interrupt, Blaine, real quick. I'll, I'll pay you back an interruption for one interruption. But uh, I think, and, and I'm going to set you up to, to get there, uh, but Blaine teaches an interesting question that has come up a few times in the conversation already. How important, Blaine, do you think, for the sake of what, applies to digital marketing? Yeah. Yeah, I knew you were going there. So, yeah, Aaron, you know, in the way that we work with for the sake of what, it's, it's not the why. Why is omnidirectional? For the sake of what, oftentimes, if it's done, if it's really defined well, is linked back into the organization's soul. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. back into the soul, uh, its mission. So how frequently does or does it, in fact, come into play? Yeah, the, the exploration of how does this decision actually support our for the sake of what? Uh, that's a great question. So I think there are a few different uh, like levels, if you will. So when it comes to the types of decisions that senior executives make on a daily basis in companies all around the world, I would say very often those decisions are made without the level of requisite intentionality to ask that question for the sake of what. I think that is something that happens. Many companies go months and months making several important decisions, but not ever taking the time to reflect and say, this is a crucial juncture. We have an important decision to make. Here's how we're going to approach it. These are the principles, including the sake of what. So. So that's one level. And then when it comes to marketing in particular and where I see CMOs fumble sometimes is their ability to connect what they're doing back to the business and to your point, the soul of the business sometimes is a bit lacking. And that's either because they have a lot of 
esoteric knowledge, quote unquote, around marketing, these new capabilities, whether it be connected TV or, or other capabilities with data, and they get really excited and it becomes a bit disconnected from the business and or sometimes they're just not having the appropriate level of dialogue with their peers in the C-suite, uh, as well as the CEO and possibly the board around what the true strategy is, where the business needs to go, and what role marketing can play in that. Airbnb is a perfect example. They had um, an article published a few years ago where the CFO was saying their decision to move away from investing in performance marketing and toward brand was the exact right move for the business because the problem they were facing was lack of awareness um, in terms of the two-sided marketplace, essentially. They needed to get more hosts to realize they could be hosts. There was plenty of awareness of Airbnb as a, as a guest, you know, in, in people's capacity as a guest, but really balancing out that two-sided marketplace, there was a real business imperative there. And so using brand and using marketing to accomplish that or make progress there was not just justifiable, it, it became almost intuitive. But I feel like there are many marketers who don't take that moment to ask, what does the business really need? And what is marketing's then ability, maybe even uniquely, maybe ability marketing can deliver that other functions can't to help make progress or, or make good on whatever that objective is. Right. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, whether it's Airbnb or executive search, Aaron, it's identifying, <laughs> evaluating and selecting, right? We want to figure out how people are identifying this, how they're evaluating it, and how they're making their selection. And it applies to a variety of industries, careers, and jobs, uh, but particularly you guys do it at the highest level, Kingsley Gate. Uh, if anybody's looking in for the best, in the best of balance, you can tell by their extraordinary leader, Aaron Middle Feingold. Check him out, check out the firm. Uh, it's great someone that balances the data with common sense and emotion and credibility. Hard to find these days, but Aaron certainly portrays that, and so does the firm. Kingsleygate.com, check them out. Aaron, I'll be up there next week. Also want to invite you to come over to Santa Clara and visit us in person. We always like to meet people. Uh, if not, we'll have you on more of our shows. You, you're built for the soul of business, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Thanks, Aaron. Right, thank you. Great interview. Oh, what a wonderful job. conversation. Uh, both of uh, I'll give them both A's. Uh, <laughs> well, far work. And on, on our, right? I had a funny situation before we get to the takeaway real quick, and then I'll let you go. Holiday in the Bahamas with your lovely bride. Uh, I was doing an interview earlier today, and the judge's name was Adam uh, House. And I don't know why. I just couldn't stop calling him David. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that they're... Uh, Blaine's teaching about covert narcissism. I, I think uh, it's ex explore, uh, exploring why <laughs> why I call every, why I call everybody David now. Uh, but I know you're the double B, Blaine Bartlett, and uh, we are going to uh, move forward with takeaway of the day and get you out on, back on the beach or at least for dinner. Uh, for dinner, yeah, 6.30 here. So, yeah. Oh, good. Well, I know there's a great chef with you, so oh, you should uh, oh, enjoy that. I, I will regale you on when we're together next week about some of the meals we've had. <laughs> and by the way, thank you. Thank you for being at least semi-sober for the show. That's a, hey, we always worry I, when you're on vacation. 
I was telling Cam the other night that the last time I did the show from the Bahamas, uh, I got chastised. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cam, I was, Cam yeah. almost drowned me. I was so hungover when I went uh, fishing uh, with him the next day. It was, it was incredible. But we'll leave Cam out of this. We'll stick we'll to the takeaways of the day. He got a cameo appearance here. No, the takeaway. No, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's why I said it. You, I love how quick you are. <laughs> takeaway i uh you know you, and you, you teed this up for me it was it, it really was about the for the sake of what um because i mean in when i saw that um aaron was going to be on and I, I and i i know i know of the firm and i wanted to be able to ask this question around how does the for the sake of what inform decision making because people think decision-making is, they actually think it's different than what it is. And it has to have a for the sake of what, if it's going to get you to where you'd like to go. And going to where you'd like to go leads me back to the second part of the takeaway here, that last mile. Yeah, ideas are great, but until they're executed on, you're dead in the water. And that last mile of execution is where it comes into play. And so I mean, you know, going right back to uh, you know, our first guest, uh, when you know, Anar is talking about what he does just to make that happen, you couple decision-making with last mile con you know, uh, thinking. And now you've got an interesting sandwich that you can actually work some things with that is, I, I think, kind of fascinating. So that's... Um, a little bit abstract, but that is my takeaway. And I, I like and I did that without a real punch. <laughs> Very good. I uh, aligned with, that, I think, complementary to, for the sake of what, is this new deadly one-two punch. It's a combination. It's a reconciliation that we have to understand. And it's a combination of data, AI, technology, software, platforms, but in the end, the execution is by human beings. Yep. And when we talk about for the sake of what, or for the soul of business, that is generated not by AI, not by platforms or SaaS solutions, not by technology or data, it's by human beings. And uh, soul of human being, and for the sake of what human beings and their human nature are aligned with or synergistic to is important to understand because as we build these technologies and we look at the data that uh, may drive us, in the end, it's human nature uh, that executes on the technology. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really important as a takeaway to have the 10 go uh, strategy of, let's just not take the data and the technology, the AI and the SaaS platforms out there uh, as the truth or the master. Uh, is still the servant of human nature and human beings that execute on with human nature. So uh, both of these companies, Senpex, uh, as well as Kingsgate, they, they deal in that reconciliation. Of, okay, technology is great, but for the sake of what are we going to utilize it as our servant in order to effectuate or execute at our highest level? And in order to do so, the only way human beings can adapt and adopt to that technology is to experiment and test and then go. So test and go is my takeaway. Speaking of going, uh, I can smell that uh, delicious food from here all the way in Southern California. Enjoy the Bahamas. Enjoy the lovely company that you're with. Please give them all a hug. 
They're some of my favorite people in the world. I'll get to see at least Cynthia next week in Las Vegas. Oh, uh, I'm there Dane too. Cook. You're going to come too. Okay, good. Because yep, we, be there we too. have people introduced. I have Dane Cook, Austin Eckler, Forrest Griffin, Flex Lewis, Clinton Sparks, Forbes Riley, just to name a few. Forbes. Oh, uh, my gosh. Month of Sunday since I've seen Forbes. Okay. Yeah, they did a naked they did a naked mastermind last night that I keynoted, uh, and I was the only one with my clothes on. So as a big close <laughs> before my dinner, I, I took I took off my clothes and they all freaked out. It was wonderful. So I did a naked mastermind yesterday with Forbes and Josh. They send their love. I send my love. Julie sends her love. Go enjoy your holiday. I love you, my friend. Thank you so much. You bet, buddy. Have a great yeah, Friday. You. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Blaine Bartlett, my mentor, my coach, he has done unbelievable work, changed my mindset and my life, changing the way that I see things and the way that I execute on them. Appreciate Blaine Bartlett. If you're interested in getting that type of help from the best, it's BlaineBartlett.com. Trust me, you will not regret it. I want to thank Raluca and Gigi. It's the middle of the night once again for them. I think it's about 134 in Europe or somewhere along those lines in the middle of the night. And uh, ladies, give me a quick smile before I let you go. Remember, everyone, we're going to be in tomorrow training, Friday training. What? It's always there, 6 a.m. Pacific time. Much easier for you guys in Europe, 6 a.m. So the payback is there from my European producer and associate producers. Uh, Email me if you're not registered. Over 100,000 people registered for Friday trainings. I've been doing it for over 24 years. Are you kidding me? That's right. Almost older than Reluca. Wow. That's amazing. Anyway, email me if you want to join us at training tomorrow in Vegas with Dane Cook and all those lovely people on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. And then Thursday in Santa Clara with Joe Montana, Gary V, Tim Story, and many, many more. Come and join us. Email me, david at dmelzer.com. Remember, most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow training at 6 a.m. Pacific. Have a great night, ladies.